Amen. Good morning. Epiphany, how are we doing this morning? <clears throat> good, good. It's such, such a delight to be and an honor to be uh, back in the house of God, back amongst the people of God. Um, I, I truly enjoy Sunday mornings, uh, particularly because I get to gather with God's people. You know, he, Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, this is what he says about the church. He says that this is the church of the living God the pillar ground and truth. And I'm so excited when we get together. I believe that Sunday mornings is a huge part of our spiritual formation, our spiritual growth. A lot of it depends on Sunday mornings, not only Sunday mornings, but Sunday mornings is a big piece of that. Um, this should. This is a good way to segue into the importance of small groups as well. Um, Gabe mentioned it. So Sunday mornings is important. I would say yes and amen to, to Sunday mornings. Uh, but small groups is something that we do during the week as a way to uh, make sure that we're actually doing life together. It's easy for us to come in on Sunday mornings, hear the word, and then never process the word. Right, so we, we get what's known as spiritual constipation. So we just hear it and we go away and we just hold it in. Uh, but the word is meant to be worked out in our lives. Even when you look at the Great Commission, it never was teach them. The Great Commission given to the church was teach them. And then it says to obey. So the point of the word should be to impact our lives uh, so that we walk out and we can obey. And so uh, Wednesday nights, our small groups are kicking off around some different parts around uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Gabe told you how you can sign up for those. Uh, if you're a small group leader, whether you're a leader or a backup leader, if you could just raise your hand really quickly, raise your hand high. So there's a few leaders in here. If you guys are interested, uh, you haven't signed up, you guys can put your hand down. If you haven't signed up, if you haven't looked online, uh, just talk to one of these guys that have raised their hand and they'll kind of explain a little bit about uh, the importance of our small groups. And then we do fourth Wednesday night Bible studies on Sunday, on Sundays, Wednesday night Bible studies on Sundays. We do fourth Wednesday night Bible studies here at the building where all of our small groups and then all uh, of our members come together and we walk through what the word has to say. We're actually going through all of the Bible. So we started in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, at the end of this month, we'll be walking through what the fall is. And so the fall happens in Genesis 3, and then we'll see how it progresses. Uh, by the time you get to chapter 6, it says what, that, that, uh, that evil was in their hearts continuously. And so we'll get to see how it um, how sin has spiraled out of control. And so I, I just want to plug those two. They are extremely important. There is no way, I mean, I would not be pushing this to you guys if I didn't think that this was a big part um, of your walk with the Lord. And so our small groups, and let me also say welcome to our first time visitors, those that have raised their hand. This is your first time you've ever been with us. We are grateful. You being here brings us joy. Uh, and just the fact that you're here um, is a testament of God's grace um, to weather us through the storm and get us all here safely and get you here safely. And if you do not have to leave out right away, we'd love for you to hang back and just talk to uh, some of the people that have been here for a while. We just want to hear your stories, hear about you, uh, find out ways we can serve and uh, ways that we could pray for you. Uh, last thing I want to mention is I, I want us to be praying about uh, those impacted by Hurricane Matthew. 
Uh, it has devastated um, many countries, have been impacted, and even within on our, our eastern shores, uh, southern eastern shores have been impacted by this hurricane. Uh, some of our partner churches in Jacksonville, I know we have Rodney's from Jacksonville, we have a couple people here from Jacksonville, uh, Shonda's from Jacksonville as well, um, but we have a couple of partner churches down in Jacksonville that uh, got a call last night that everybody is good, and they're actually using this day, they shut down service, some of them have shut down service to get out in the community and move trees and help people that uh, need help. And so if we could be praying for our partner churches, but also be praying by, for all of the countries that have been impacted by uh, Hurricane Matthew. All right, 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17 is where we're going to be today. Uh, as you're turning there, let, let me kind of give you guys some some big picture pastoral vision that I have for us together uh, as it relates to Sunday mornings and our sermon series. We've been, we just finished up uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah has been a, and a very important book for our church uh, and has been really impactful. We spent four weeks walking through all four chapters of the book of Jonah. So we just finished that up last week. Uh, this month, we're just going through a bunch of what's called standalone sermons. That means they're not connected to a particular series. Uh, they're just like on their own sermons. And so that's what the next four weeks will look like. And then in November, we're jumping into a series called Red Letters. Uh, red letters literally means we're going to go through only what Jesus has said. Uh, if you have a Bible, a physical copy of a Bible that, or some of your phones do it as well, when Jesus speaks, it always highlights his words in red letters. And so uh, we want to just go through what Jesus has to say. There may be a couple black letters in there somewhere for us the next four weeks, but uh, for the most part, we'll be going through what Jesus has said. So we'll be picking different parts uh, of the Gospels. He even talks a little bit in Revelation. So we'll be picking up a couple of places, um, and that's the month of November. Then December, we're going to run into a, a series on Advent. So first Sunday in, um, in December, we'll be walking through the coming of Christ, kind of leading up to Christmas Day. Christmas Day actually falls on a Sunday this year, uh, and so that'll be like the pinnacle. We'll do some, um, some, some cool stuff for our Christmas Day service, but the month of December, we'll do that. Then in the top of the year, we'll, well, you see this thing is planned out. Uh, the top of the year, we'll, we'll go into a small series on discipleship. What does discipleship look like? And then those of you who know our church and have been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that we are passionate about going through books of the Bible. So when I say we finished Jonah, we did Colossians before that as well. We, we just believe that, um, that nothing in the scripture should be skipped over. And so when we go through a book of the Bible, it doesn't give me the ability to be able to say, well, I'm skipping chapter three because it has stuff in there that I, I don't like. Uh, when you go through a book, you have to actually go through every single part of it. It doesn't give me um, the wiggle room to preach what I like to preach, but I am forced to preach what God has already spoke. Uh, and so we'll be jumping in. We'll go to the New Testament. My hope and prayer don't hold me to it, but I'm thinking we'll be jumping into First Peter. And uh, it'll be a really good book, five chapters for us to walk through. All right, who has First? Kings 17. If you have, if you could just say amen. All right. First Kings 17 will be in verses eight through 16 today. First Kings 17 says this, then the word of the Lord came to him, him talking about Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. 
And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of, uh, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make yourself, make something for yourself and for your son. Circle this phrase, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the, door, until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. Circle that word. We got to define what many days was. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word that he spoke by Elijah. I want to preach from the topic today uh, entitled God Provides. God provides. Let us look to the Lord. Father, this morning we're in need of you. We stand in awe of the work of Christ. We stand in awe of what he has accomplished on the cross. And even in our text today, would we draw near to the cross of Christ as our greatest provision was you sending your son, Jesus Christ. Grant me physical strength and grant me endurance to be able to preach your word. Also give me wisdom according to your word to faithfully exegete and walk through what your scriptures tell us. I echo the words of David in Psalms 19 verse 14. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let that be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God and my redeemer. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. God provides, God provides. If, if you have a business in here, if you um, just recently got laid off, if you have a boss that's getting on your nerves and you're shaky, if you're gonna have a pink slip, do they still do pink slips? Okay, if, they're, if you're nervous that they're going to tap you on your shoulder and tell you to come into the office, this, uh, this passage should bring a, a great comfort to you. In the Old Testament, they used, they used to give God different names to describe different facets of his character. Different names they would give him. They would give him names like Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Sitkenu, which comes out of Jeremiah 23. It means the Lord is our righteousness. Do you know how impactful that is for us as it relates to the gospel? They used to give him names like Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord heals. I want to zoom us in on a name that is found out of Genesis 22, when Abram is about to, or Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the scripture slows down. It tells us that he lifts up the knife and he's about to sacrifice his son on the altar. And then he hears a voice say, Stop, don't do it. He looks over into the bush and sees that a ram is stuck in the thicket. And then he named that place Jehovah Jireh, which literally means the Lord will provide. At the expense of sounding like a prosperity preacher, uh, it's important for us to understand, not be so left that we don't understand that God's provision is a real thing. And the scriptures affirm that God does provide. In our text today, that is exactly what we see. My grandmother used to say, where he leads, he feeds. 
And where he guides, he provides. The Lord does provide. Uh, and so our story today really is, we, we see the provision of the Lord based on a miracle. Now let me explain miracles because miracles don't happen when you've got it all together. Miracles can only happen when you've reached your wits end, when you've exhausted yourself, when you've done all you can do. Those are grounds for a miracle. And I don't know if you walked in here today with a heavy burden. Maybe you came in, your tank, your gas tank is literally on E. Maybe you have bills, you have debt, you have, maybe you're starting a business and things just aren't looking good. Uh, Can I suggest to you today that those Those are grounds for a miracle. You are a perfect candidate when you've reached all of your natural capacity to get things done. That is when the Lord normally steps in and brings a miracle. But let me also push to you that miracles don't happen because you're so significant. Miracles don't happen because you're so valuable. Miracles happen simply to bring God glory. That is why God provides a miracle in your life. When you look at after John uh, wrote the book of John, he goes through 21 chapters and chapter 20 of the book of John, when he gets to the end, when he's almost done with this letter, he says that the miracles recorded in this book are for the purpose, listen to this, that the readers may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by believing, you might have life in his name. John says, I wrote all of what I wrote just to get to the fact that the miracles in this book really bring God glory. So the miracles in your life aren't because you're so great. Jesus could have spent his entire ministry, I've said this numerous times, he could have spent his entire ministry just healing people and doing miracles and not made a dent in the amount of sick people that were in the ancient times. But his physical healings always had a greater meaning. Right, it's Ephesians 1.18, it's having the eyes of their heart enlightened. He didn't just open physical blinded eyes just to do it and floss. He did it to show that there's a greater miracle, a greater need that we all need, and that is salvation. There is no other miracle in the scriptures more prominent than the salvation, than dead people being alive, made alive to Jesus Christ. That is the greatest miracle. Uh, So physical healings in the Old Testament or in the New Testament weren't just because the people that were healed did anything significant. I mean, think about how many sick people there were. There were no hospitals. There was no clinics. There was physicians, but they were more like, like herbal care specialists. You know, they give you green tea for a broken leg. That is the type of physicians they had in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And so physical miracles weren't because they were valuable, but physical miracles literally were were, were a pointer to Jesus. I mean, if you think about the people that got healed, like what did the 10 lepers do after they got healed? We don't know anything that they've done. Like, what did the man with the withered hand, when God restored his hand in Luke chapter 6, what did he do significant after his hand was restored? Like, you would think that Jesus restored his hand so that he could write some of the scriptures. He wrote nothing in the scriptures. So his hand was restored, and we know nothing else about him. It wasn't because he was significant. What did the deaf man do with the speech impediment? God didn't heal him, loose his tongue so that he could go preach the gospel. He's healed. We hear nothing else about him. And so your miracle isn't because if a miracle happens in your life, it's not because you've done anything special. It is because God wants to get the glory out of your life. And let me just keep in context where we are in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, we are in a place where the prophet of Israel is Elijah. 
And, and Elijah is on the run, literally on the run from the king of Israel, which is King Ahab. Let me just kind of give you some history on King Ahab. He was a wicked king of Israel. In fact, turned the whole kingdom's heart to worship Baal. This is the same king that married Jezebel. And so this is a wicked, wicked king. Literally, the prophet of Israel is on the run from him. And so the prophet is told in the preceding verses above what we just read today, he's told to go camp out at the brook of Kareth, and there I'm going to provide for you. And so while he's there, he is receiving provision from the Lord. Here it is in, crazy, in a crazy way. He's receiving provision from the Lord from ravens that are feeding him. Ravens are carnivores. They eat meat, but yet they're bringing the meat to him so that he could eat. And he's sitting at a brook where the water is flowing. And I, I know you're like, that's so unsanitary. That's so disgusting. But when you're in a famine, you don't have time to be picky on what you're going to eat. He wasn't looking for filet mignon. He wasn't looking for escargot. He's not looking for lamb chops. He is satisfied with what the Lord is providing. When I was a kid, I used to, you know, there were times where we didn't have much food in the house. And sometimes the best sandwich you could eat is a bread and ketchup sandwich. Anybody ever ate that? Dang, I'm the only one that ate bread and ketchup Sometimes that was the best meal you can get. But when you're, when you're in that place where the cupboards are bare, you don't have no time to be saying, man, let me order something real special today. No, you eat what is before you. You use what the Lord has provided to you. And so the prophet Elijah is at the brook of Kareth being sustained by ravens and drinking from a brook that literally dries up. In fact, let me read it. You don't have to turn to it. A couple of verses before what we read today in verse number five, it says, so he went according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Kareth, that is east of Jordan. Listen to verse six. And the ravens brought him food and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Listen to verse seven. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And so literally the prophet is sitting at the brook. No more provision is happening. He's not receiving food. He's not, the water's not running anymore. So he's not drinking. And what do you do when you have those moments where what, where, what was sustaining you is no longer sustaining you? That job that was sustaining you is no longer your source of income. What do you do in those moments? Well, we get to see and zoom in on what the prophet did. I love what the prophet did. Look at verse number eight. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, talking about Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath. When the brook dried up, he was not complaining. When the brook, brook dried up, he didn't try to run ahead of God to try to figure out what was next. Watch what provision says. Provision always starts with hearing a word from the Lord. He sat at the brook until the Lord spoke to him. And, and, and it's been my experience in provision. Whenever provision dries up in one place, I want to try to figure things out. But the scripture tells us today, if we're going to really, really be faithful to what the scriptures say, we have to wait for a word. He's not running ahead of God. And many of us do that. We run way, way, way too quickly. And so the brook that was sustaining him dries up. He sits and he waits for a word. And when he gets a word from the Lord, this is so interesting. The verse tells us the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to, listen to this, go to Zarephath. Now, why is that? that? Why is that crazy? Because Zarephath was a Gentile nation. Jews and Gentiles normally didn't get along. 
And in the Old Testament, Jews and Gentiles were oil and vinegar. They just did not get along. And so when what was sustaining them dries up and he finally gets a word, he is told to, he's told something crazy. Go to Zarephath, a Gentile nation. And what do you do when you get a calling or a word or you get a hunch that the Lord wants you to do something and it's completely crazy? What do you do when it's out of your league? It's out of what you're able to do when it's beyond your resource capacity, when it's beyond your actual ability. You hear that the Lord wants you to do something that's way beyond anything that you think that you personally can do. What do you do in those moments? Uh, what do you do? First Corinthians uh, 1.18 says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. And so when we get those moments, it, it almost feels like, Lord, I can't do that because that's too hard for me. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no, we're burdened beyond our strength. Yeah, it is too hard for you. Yeah, it is too much for you. And if you feel a hunch or you feel the Lord calling you to do something and you can do it without him, it's probably not the Lord. Because the Lord will always call you to do something that you don't have enough money for. He will always cause you to do, call, call you to do something when you don't have, have the actual degree for, when you don't have the ability to do it. Those are normally moments that he does. And the reason he does that is because when he does it that way, he gets the glory out of it. Because you can say, man, I have no clue how that happened. It's no way I could have did that on my own. When I was living in, uh, in Pennsylvania, the Lord called us to plant a church, not just plant anywhere, but he called us to plant a church in the inner city. Now, what makes that interesting is we were living in the burbs. My family and I were living by the Lord's grace, living in a four-bedroom house, two-car garage, sitting on a little land. We had uh, a nice driveway. We had a playground set in the back for the boys. We were comfortable. I was minding my own business. And when the Lord called us, he didn't just say plant a church. He said, leave the cushiness of, of corporate America, go raise your support, and go move in the inner city. Like, that was crazy to me. It was even crazier to my wife. It's like, huh? Do what? And that is normally how the Lord calls you. When he calls you, he calls you way beyond anything that you could ever do. And so he's told him, told him something crazy, to go to Zarephath, which did not make complete sense to him. But real faith, real faith obeys God and has no concern for consequence. Like the Lord's called me, I don't care. And you should, when the Lord calls you to anything, start a business, leave your job, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, when the Lord calls you to do something, you shouldn't have any concern of, man, let me think about my life. Like then he cares for the birds. And it says, how much more valuable are you? The Lord is able to sustain you. When the Lord called Noah in Genesis chapter 6 to build an ark, he did not only know what an ark was, but he didn't even know what rain was. And yet the Lord called him to do something. He was obedient. And that's real provision. Provision starts with obedience. Always starts with obedience. Abraham is called to sacrifice his son, which we just talked about in Genesis chapter 22. He doesn't question God. He doesn't think. He doesn't say, God, are you sure? He obeys what the Lord is calling him to do. And many of you, your struggle isn't a lack of provision. Your struggle isn't a lack of resources. Many of you in this room, your struggle is a lack of obedience. The Lord has called you. And you, when the Lord calls you, you should move and if he, it should be so crazy that if he doesn't show up, you'll look like a fool. 
That's how dependent we should be on the Lord. And so he tells them, go to Zarephath. Go to Zarephath, a Gentile nation. And then it gets crazier than that. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, verse 9, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now, let me give you a little history on Sidon. Sidon is, is associated with a curse. Why am, I, why am I saying that? If you look at places where, like Genesis 9, where Noah, he, he's on the boat, right? He finally builds the ark. He's on the boat for 40 days, right? He's on the boat for 40 nights. When he gets off the boat, the first thing he does in Genesis 9 is plants a vineyard. Plants a vineyard, and then he gets sloppy drunk. He's like, pass me the Ciroc, pass me the 1800 with, with pineapple juice. Like, he's, he gets drunk, and the scripture tells us that he has three sons. He has uh, Shem, he has Japheth, and he has Ham. Now, his two older sons, Japheth and Shem, I- I'm going somewhere with this. Japheth and Shem see his nakedness. So he gets drunk, gets naked. They literally walk in backwards and cover him. But his youngest son, uh, Ham, doesn't do that. He sees him and then goes out and tells people. Sees his nakedness of his father. And when Noah comes to himself, when he sobers up, Noah puts a curse on, uh, on Ham. On, on, um, he puts a curse on Ham, but when he puts a curse on Ham, he doesn't just curse Ham, he curses his son Canaan. The very next chapter tells us Canaan has a son, and his son is named Sidon. And so when the word comes to him and tells him to go to Zarephath of Sidon, This automatically, the prophet would have knew that this is connected to a curse. And yet, he doesn't question God. He obeys God. Let's keep going. Verse number nine. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Dwell there. Behold, I have commanded, circle this phrase, uh, circle this, a widow. I literally, I circled that, drew out to my margin and wrote, unbelievable. Because he, he doesn't just tell him, this is how crazier it gets. He tells him to go to a Gentile nation. He tells him to go to a nation that was uh, connected with a curse. And then he tells him, I have a widow there that's going to sustain you. Now, that wouldn't have made any sense. What would have made sense is if he told him to go there and he was going to be sustained by a rich family or a rich person. But no, he says, go there and you're going to be sustained by a widow, which is crazy. Widows were the first ones to die off. Like, remember, they're in a famine. Zarephath is in a famine. And so when Zarephath is in a famine, the first ones to die off in that context is widows. They didn't have any husband that was able to provide for them. And so he he tells him to go somewhere where he would have least expected provision to take place. And see, that's our problem. The Lord calls us to to do something. And we normally are hesitant because we're looking for provision in places that we think that he should show up. And he normally shows up in places that we would have never, ever expected. 2003, uh, I, was ch- I was watching the Super Bowl. I love uh, Super Bowl for, for numerous reasons. And many of you probably like it for different reasons as, as well. In 2003, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they, it wasn't even a game. They smashed the Oakland, Oakland Raiders. It was like 48 to like 20-something. Uh, but what was interesting about that game wasn't just the game. So there's three types of people that watch the Super Bowl. First type of person is that, is that crazy dude that, that, you know, goes to the game below zero weather. He has, like, no shirt on. He's painted all up. That's, he's probably single. He probably don't got a wife. But he, that, that's the crazy dude, right? And so he's the first person. Then, then there's the person 
that just likes football, isn't crazy, doesn't, you know, know the stats of the high school players, isn't like over the top with the game, just enjoys football. And then there's a third person. They could care less about the Super Bowl. But they watch the Super Bowl for two reasons. First, they want to see the halftime show. Beyonce killed last year. Just want to put that out there to you. And the second reason they watch the Super Bowl is because of what? The commercials. We watch the Super Bowl because of the commercials. In 2003, there was a commercial that FedEx put out that I thought was an extremely creative commercial. In this commercial, FedEx... Um, is, is leaning on the movie Castaway. Anybody seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Well, he's stranded on an island. Well, FedEx puts this commercial out, and the commercial is about this man, a FedEx employee, that gets stranded on an island for five years. He has a package, and he said, I'm not going to open this package. When I'm rescued, I'm going to deliver this package because I'm such a good FedEx employee. Well, he does get rescued five years later, and he goes to a, the lady's house who owns the package and says, Miss, he has the long beard because he hasn't shaved. He's like, Miss, I, I have had this package for five years, and I want to deliver it to you because I'm a good FedEx employee. She says, oh, man, thank you. And she's about to close the door, and he opens the door, and he says, whoa, 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 I really need to know what's in that package. I've had it for five years. And when, he op when she opens the package, she's like, oh, it's, it's nothing, just a satellite phone, GPS, a fishing rod, some water purifiers, some seeds, just little stuff, nothing really. She closes the door, he's standing at the door in shock. Now, he didn't think that provision would come through a place like that, and that is normally how provision happens. It's normally packaged in a way that you wouldn't expect, but that's the problem with us. We have packages that we did not open because we didn't think the Lord would provide that way. We're probably looking for the ship to come save us. We're doing SOS on the, on the beach shore. No, the package he gave him had the provision he needed. And most of you in this room that are starting businesses, my, my hunch if you're struggling is you're looking in the wrong place. Do you think that the prophet of Israel thought that he was going to be sustained by a Gentile woman? Like he's on the run from the king of Israel, yet a Gentile woman is about to sustain him. Who doesn't have her own provision? Like don't miss the story. The, the widow doesn't even have provision for herself, yet the Lord calls her to prepare this meal for the prophet of Israel. And, and my, that's my hope and prayer is that when you're, when you're running through your life and you're running through what the Lord has called you to do, my hope and prayer is that you're actually looking in areas for provision that the Lord normally will not provide. Let's keep moving through the text. Let me read verse 9 again. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Look at verse number 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. So he was obedient. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, there was a woman there gathering sticks. And so don't miss this because we can read this and then keep going and be like, let's get to the part where she says she didn't have anything. She's already preparing provision. Be careful here. Watch this. Before the prophet even asked for anything. He didn't ask for any food yet, yet she's already, she's gathering sticks just to prepare this meal. And that's normally how provision starts. Normally provision is already set in motion for you and you haven't tapped into it yet, but it's already there. She's already gathering these sticks. She's gathering the sticks just to 
um, prepare this meal for him. And when you look at places like Jacob, Jacob, when, uh, when he's in need, right, his family's in need, there's another famine there, and the family's in need in Genesis. And who does he send to provide for him? Joseph. Joseph in Egypt provides for them. God prepared already provision before, Joseph, before Jacob was ever even in need. When the Jews face Haman, they provide Esther. God provides Esther. And even the Ethiopian eunuch, when he is in need of salvation, God sends along Philip in Acts chapter 8. And so over and over again, we'll see that provision, is ha- provision normally happens before you're even asking. She's already gathering sticks. Let's keep going. Verse number 10, so she's gathering sticks and he called to her, the middle part of of 10. So he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And he said, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, listen to this. This is what she says. I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little jug of oil. And now I'm about to go gather these couple of sticks that I may go prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. She literally is saying to the prophet Elijah, you're asking me for food, but I'm preparing a meal that I'm about to eat and my son is about to eat and we're going to die. Like literally this is it. She didn't have any more provision. This is all she has. And and, and what you need to understand about provision is provision normally happens when you feed people, when you're prepared to feed people what you need yourself. She needed provision. She said, this is our last meal. I got a handful of flour and a jar of oil and you're asking me to give to you. And look at what she's doing. She's looking at her problem, not really looking at the provider. When the Lord called us to plant a church in Brooklyn, I can tell you now, I was looking at rent. I was going, that's expensive. I'm looking around. I'm going, that's a crazy context. Like, let me plant somewhere down south, which is, you know, a little bit easier to plant a church. Planting in a hard area like New York where people always feel like you're trying to get them. You know, you, it's hard in New York. People always feel like you're trying to get them. They literally, they literally walk by you. They don't care anything about what you're doing. It's, all, it's a consumeristic city. And so when I was looking at that, I was going, Lord, I'm looking at the problem. Like, this is it. This is it. How can we do this instead of looking at the provider? And so this lady says, I have a handful of flour and a, and a little bit of oil. So she's literally about to make a cake. And she's like, man, that's all I have. But look at the B part of 12. The B part of 12 says, only a handful of flour, a little jar of oil, and now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and for your son. This this is interesting because... Elijah, the prophet of Israel, hears this woman's condition, and he doesn't, it's not, he's not sympathetic like, oh, go do that then. Go eat and die. No, he says, that's cool, but before you do that, bring me something. Like, it, it's, this sounds selfish. This sounds cruel, but really what he's doing is stretching her faith. Notice he says, do not fear. He knows the Lord's going to provide. 
He's not confused on the fact if the Lord is going to provide. And that's what I was trying to tell you. That's like faith in the provision of God is always, man, let me see how I can serve somebody else. Provision doesn't start with you receiving. Provision starts with you giving. And see, that's our problem. Most of us, when it comes to the provision of the Lord, we'd rather receive than actually give. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He didn't receive. God so loved the world that he did what he gave. He gave his only son. And so so, some of us in here are too stingy. See, we can't get to provision because we're too stingy. We're holding on to stuff when the truth of the matter is we want God to open doors for us that we would never open for somebody else. This lady's about to give her last meal and she's about to do it just because she knows this is the Lord talking. Let's keep going. Verse 14. I told you to underline this earlier. For thus says the Lord. This is no longer Elijah speaking. This is God now speaking. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's what he says. The jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so Elijah is sitting there like, listen, this is a word from the Lord. What you think is about to happen in terms of provision really. So it's almost like the Lord, he switches the, 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 the focus from Elijah receiving provision. Now he puts it on the widow about to receive provision. Notice he, he tells her, he says, man, what's, what you think is about to happen really isn't going to happen. And it tells us, in the text, that she's going to eat, and she'll eat all the way up until the Lord sends rain. Now, when I said earlier, we need to define what many days was, because it's easy for us to read many days and think like, the Lord provided for her for maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks. But if you read chapter 18, verse number one, the text tells us that the word came to Elijah in the third year, which tells me that this woman gave her last, but her jar of oil and her jug of flour was not spent for three years. In fact, if you go to Jesus talks about this in the New Testament, and Jesus doesn't even just say three years. He says three years and six months. And so literally this woman, every time she goes to her cupboard, it was food in there every time. Every time for three years. People around her are in a famine. They're dying off. They're not able to make it, yet this woman opens up her cupboard, and every time she pours oil, she comes back the next morning, and there's new oil. Every time she puts out the flour to make a cake, she goes back into the, into the cupboard, and there's new flour in there. For three years, the Lord provides for her because she was obedient to what thus says the Lord. And see, that's provision right there. Provision stretches you way beyond your faith. Many of us are, are, when it comes to our ministries or when it comes to the things that the Lord has called us, we're always, we're hesitant. We're really stepping out on faith because, man, we don't have it. We're looking at the jar of oil. We're looking at what we don't have instead of looking at what, the, what we do have in God. Look at verse number 15. And when she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. I told you that's three years and six months. And the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord. Three years, six months, this woman eats. Her son eats 
for three years and six months. Like, don't read this and just think, oh man, that's how he used to operate. He doesn't really operate like that anymore. No, provision happens just like this. Miracles happen just like this. And if you read this and say, he doesn't work like that no more, you don't understand the provision of God. Like, I'm not pushing prosperity and say, you do this and he's going to give you this in six months. He's gonna, I'm not, what I am saying is the scriptures are clear that he does provide. And he provides in ways that you and I can't explain, you and I can't fathom, you and I can't conjure up. He normally provides in those ways. And here's the greatest provision we've ever, we've ever received. The greatest provision we've ever received wasn't a jar of oil and a handful of flour. The greatest provision that you and I have ever received was when Christ came to die on the cross for you and I. Like God provided the means to salvation for you. Remember I said he was called Jehovah's Sick Canoe, which literally means the Lord our righteousness. So Isaiah will tell us, Isaiah 53 says that he laid on him, Jesus Christ, he lays on him the iniquities of us all. All of our sin is laid on Jesus, and we get to marvel at Jehovah Sikkanu, which is the Lord our righteousness. And now we stand before the Lord with his righteousness, those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the greatest provision you could ever receive. And that message becomes way too common for us. We're too busy looking at our own provision, looking at natural physical provision, when really the greatest provision is a call to trust in the gospel. So I don't know if you're in here and you've started a business. I don't know if you've been here and you're praying about going overseas to a foreign country to do missions work and you need to raise that. I don't know if you're looking at full-time ministry. Maybe it's school. It's something as simple as I need to go back to school. How can the Lord provide for school? Because school is expensive. Like Sally May, Sally May is wrong. I'm just, Sally May ain't making it to heaven. I'm just saying... She's wrong. When they call you with that, with that student loan, that thing hurts you. But maybe that's you in here. And you're, you're wrestling whether or not you want to go back to school. Let me, let me push that to you, that the Lord can provide for that. Whatever that need is, whatever you've taken, maybe it's a project that you've started that's unfinished, literally sitting on your table. I can't finish it because we don't have the provision for it. I can't leave my job and do full time anything because I don't have the resources for it. The rent has to get paid. But I want to push us and challenge us today to look at the fact that God provides. And he shows us that he provides through the cross of Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. When Jesus mentions this story in in Luke chapter 4, he mentions it in response to being rejected at Nazareth. Keep every head bowed, every eye closed. And he says that, tr- that there, were prof- there were widows in Israel, but the Lord didn't send me to any of those. He says, for three years and six months, a great famine came over the land. And so what we see is that the prophet Elijah obeys God, goes to a Gentile nation that's connected with the curse to be sustained by a widow that he would not have expected to be sustained by. And yet some of us in this room have a hard time seeing how the Lord's going to provide for us. How in the world is he going to provide the very next rent payment? How is he going to provide for that business that I've been praying about? How is he going to provide for school? 
this text should give us hope today. If that's you in here, I don't want to call you up. If you have been struggling with the provision of the Lord, would you just slip your hand in the air? You've been struggling, trusting that the Lord is going to provide. Just slip your hand high in the air. Hands are raised all over this room. There's many of us in here that are lacking trust and lacking faith in the provision of our God. I simply want to pray for you. I want to pray not just for provision, but my hope and prayer is to pray that even in the time where you're sitting at the brook and it's dried up, that you trust the Lord and that you'd wait for a word from the Lord. The easiest way that we hear from the Lord is not through a dream. Oh, easiest way to hear from the Lord is by getting in his word. And as we get in his word today, we see that he has provided, not just for the prophet Elijah, but he's stretched, he's provided even for this widow that for three years and six months got to receive the provision of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, many people in this room are, are stretched in their faith. We've had closed door after closed door. We've heard no one too many times. And I don't necessarily pray that you would move them out of that too quickly. But I would go so far as to pray, Lord, that you would sustain them and secure them in their faith, even in those moments. Like you've sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness, not for one year, not for two years, for 40 years, you were able to sustain three million people. Every day they ate. And Lord, would you provide in this room in the same way? Somebody in here wants to start a business. Someone in here feels called to do crazy stuff that just doesn't make sense. There's no framework for it. There's, they don't have a model for it. All they have is a business plan and looking at the debt that it's going to cause. Lord, would you comfort that person's heart? Stretch their faith to see that if you do call them to do anything that you will provide. And you don't provide so that we can floss. You provide so that we can bring all glory to you. Psalm 115, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. We're stretched in here, Lord. We lack faith. We lack trust. We lack commitment because we don't see how it's going to work. But Father, would you stretch us today? And may may this... May this story not just be one of those stories that we read and never come back to, but may we anchor ourselves in how you provided for this prophet and for this widow. Like to think that you've provided for someone that was in this time outside of your covenant. You're a gracious God. You're a good God that has no respect of person. And Lord, would you comfort that person in here? that is looking for provision from you. Maybe, Lord, it's somebody in here that hasn't trusted you, hasn't trusted, hasn't forsaken their own righteousness, their own good works, and securely put their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, would you unsettle them? 
Would you make them uncomfortable until they've given their life to you? Eternity is a long time. Lord, I just pray for someone in here that needs provision way beyond a business, needs provision way beyond school, but actually needs, actually needs you to do something in their heart. Father, we got to see a miracle today in the text. Would you help us to see a miracle in real life? And that's you making a dead heart alive, Lord. Bring someone to faith in you. Someone that came here because their friend dragged them to church, brought them here. They have no desire to be here, but yet they came and were ransomed by you. Go against our own will so that you can save us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.